this year, when we started out, Pastor talked about the fact that we needed to make Jesus the central focus of everything. In other words, it is Jesus plus nothing. That everything we do, our life should epitomize that which Jesus himself has done for us when he said, it is finished. Amen? And so, in order to be able to live this life, to be able to live in the revelation of who Jesus is, and be able to experience in its fullness all that Jesus has purchased for us, there needs to be some foundational things that are established in our lives. For example, why did he come? We all know that. But aside of why he came and why he resurrected, what are the benefits to me as a believer? And what is also expected of me as a believer? For many of us, those are questions that we sometimes would ask ourselves. And for some of us that are more mature than I am, we probably figured it all out. But I, in this work, I'm finding out that I'm trying to figure it out as I go. And the more I know, the more I grow thereby. The more I get it, the more I see some changes in my life. So today, I want to talk to us about freedom. Freedom. Go with me, please, to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. I love the NAT version of this. It says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. When Jesus becomes the central focus of our life, everything and every person pale in view of the truth. Everything, every situation, irrespective of where we find ourselves, everything pales when Jesus becomes the central focus of the believer. Because to live in Christ means a life that is void of any entanglements and lies of the enemy. I love many times the statements of Jesus. You just hear some statements and they are profound. For example, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And in that same vein, Jesus Christ turned around and said, I am the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth would make you free. And he said to you, I am the truth. So what that then means is, I know Jesus, and I'm free. He says, you know me, you become completely free. Free of what? Free of any yoke of bondage. But many times you can just use that word yoke of bondage. And what does that really mean? 
When somebody says to me, free of yoke of bondage, what does that mean? Bondage to what? I have not been enslaved physically. So what freedom am I looking for? Now to understand this, a typical Jewish person will understand it better. Because you and I did not grow to the experiences of having, having to bring goats before the altar to experience forgiveness of sins. You didn't have to go sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice to experience the forgiveness of sins. And then out of the blue, Jesus said to these Jewish people, you no longer have to do that. You just trust in me. And as you trust in me, you're completely free. In other words, you don't any longer need to be burdened down about, is this goat without blemish? Am I going to look at, let me look at this goat. Does it have any spot on it? The exact things that the priests prescribe, I'm going to be looking for it before I present it in the first place. So now for them, all of that is gone. But for us as believers in this New Testament preaching that we bring before the people, how, what, how does that play out? That we as believers are said, are being told, do not be enslaved anymore to the yoke of bondage, but stand firm in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Now, before Paul would say that, it's the same Paul that scolded Peter. Because in that same Galatians, he said to them, did you receive grace by works of hand or did you receive it by faith? He said, because now, it's almost as if the thing you received by grace you are now wanting to work for it. In other words, do not do this. Do not do that. Do not do this. There were stipulations after stipulations that were being brought from the Old Testament upon the new believers now so that they will obey it and find out and in, 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 at the end of the day figure out maybe I am more accepted because of the things that I'm doing. So Paul said to them, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you so fall from the things that you've been freely given by God? Because you wonder, why would it be that confrontational? Calling them, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul said to them, the truth is, for you and I, there are many things that hold us from enjoying the liberty that we have in Christ. For many of us, it is a fear of life. What is going to be the outcome of my life? Everything I'm doing right now, how is it going to pan out? Are they going to fire me one day from my job? The uncertainties of life are those things many times that hold us in the yoke of bondage. I watched this movie, Shawshank Redemption. There's a guy by the name of Andy. When Andy was released, paroled, he started working. And every time Andy was going to go take a leak, he had to get permission from his boss. The boss was somewhat frustrated. Oh God, what? I mean, 
Why are you going to be getting permission for me to go take a leak? I mean, you're free. You're an old man. But he said something. He said, for almost my entire life, I've been told when to drink, when to eat, when to take a leak. Before I can do anything, I had to get permission. So for him, the paradigm shift that was needed was almost an impossible task. Because his entire life was shaped, his adult life was completely shaped by you have to do it this way, you have to do it this way, follow the rules to get to where you need to go. And for us as believers, many times they are like that. You're told this gospel of grace is a free thing. But if you live in a society, there's nothing like a free lunch. Someone tells you to come get something free, you are wondering what is the deal behind this thing. And so it's almost as if to grasp the reality of the grace of God becomes a thing that we find difficult because the paradigm shift that is needed is not there. And so we become yoked in the lies that the enemy has built. Case in point, how many of you in this house will say to me, sometimes you leave the house, you don't pray and you don't feel guilty. I know. Or sometimes you say something, maybe vulgar, something bad. And you say, oh, Jesus is not going to hear me anymore. Let me do something. The reality of it is, we may know some truth. But many times the things that guide our lives are those things that we have known over time. How many of you sitting here will say to me without a shadow of a doubt, have you, have you ever come into the house and you say, we welcome you Jesus into the house. Jesus, you're welcomed in this house. And then you still read the scripture that says in him we live and move and have our being. You hear Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What it means is, there, is, there seems to be a dichotomy. In theory, what we know about grace... And what we practice about grace. We struggle with it. And this is why Paul was now saying to the Galatians. Stay in this liberty. Be established in this liberty that God has given you. Do not, do not any longer be en enslaved to the things of the natural. The things that want to enslave your mind to, the, to not to enjoy the liberty that you have in Christ. This was what Paul was saying to them. Find your home in Christ is what Paul was saying. In other words, leave the home of fear or of slavery and walk into the home of love. What is home? Home is a place where we feel safe. You feel secure. I mean, how many of you, having finished your work a whole day, 
You can't wait to go home. There's just something about home. You are relaxed at home. I don't have to wear these heels at home. I don't have to dress like this at home. I am just myself at home. Now picture in your mind's eye. That is exactly how God wants to see yourself in Christ. That you are home, you are relaxed, you are who you need to be in Christ. Nothing, absolutely nothing is able to take you away from the fact and the knowledge that this is my home. In other words, Jesus Christ has become our home. So that if Jesus is my home, I am free. And if I am free, I can be who I need to be in Christ. That means there is nothing around that can enslave me. If my boss tells me today they are about to make redundant a position, I am not afraid. My home is secure. We heard in the last two weeks we are a blessed people. But to enjoy the blessings, I need to know who I am in God. And the who I am in God, first of all, is that I have been set free. Set free from fear. Set free from anything that will hold me in bondage. For some of us, the things that hold us bound are our successes, our skills. It may even be the good things. Many times they are not necessarily the bad things. It just may be the good things. The story was told of a guy that bought a Rolls Royce. And every 4 a.m. he gets up. He goes to clean the vehicle, shine the vehicle. Before he drives out, he makes sure he, te- he, he lays a carpet all through the gravels, all through the gates of the, of the house. Then he drives over it. I mean, the height of stupidity. Because this guy is going to drive on the same road every other vehicle is driving. But this guy was so taken by the fact that he had worked and saved enough money that he could buy a Rolls Royce. That his entire life was enslaved by it. You are now going to have to determine what is it. Because many times it is the if that determines how we make our decisions. Am I going to get a spouse in time? Is this child going to come in time? Is this child going to turn out the way I want this child to turn out? I'm in school right now. I'm about to come out. Am I sure? Will I get a job? What lies ahead for me? And sometimes those things determine what we do from then on. So, because I'm afraid, I'm not sure I'm going to get a job. Someone says, maybe you should do masters in this. Okay, let me do it. They said, no, no, no. Add another masters to it. Then let me add another masters to it. I'm just trying to speak to you this afternoon about where the rubber meets the road for us as believers. Because many times we hear messages that gives us the thrill. And when we walk out that door many times, the reality of those messages don't resonate with us. And that's why I said there's a dichotomy between what we know in theory and what we experience 
in practice as believers. The truth is, if God says, I have set you free, he has indeed set you free. You and I need to be in a place where no matter the news that comes to us, our heart is secured in who holds our life. That nobody can shake us from the truth of who God is in our lives. Please open with me to the book of Galatians chapter 4 verse 5, NLT version. It says, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. What am I saying this afternoon? I want want to get something across. And here's what I want to get across. Every time you get up and you start your day, I want you to live out your life, your day, with an understanding that you have a freedom that no man can take away from you. That irrespective of what happens around you, you are in a house that is secure, that is unshakable, that is immovable, that no matter what the lies of the enemy may be, you are safe in this house. Say with me, I am free. Say, I am free. I am free to be who God has called me to be. Many times, freedom can be a subjective term. In America, you have freedom of speech. For some, that may not be their problem. Um, For some people, it is the freedom to bear arms. That's the United States I'm talking about. But I'm talking about us as believers. Look at it this way. You are free in God to express yourself and be anything that God has called you to be. That is the number one thing. The word freedom was mentioned, is mentioned in the New Testament almost 25 times. When a word is repeated in the scriptures... It bears listening to. Let me give you some scriptures on freedom. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14. Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins? Isaiah 61 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the broken hearted and proclaim captives. That captives will be released and prisoners will be free. The Bible says Jesus went about doing good. Killing all them that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. And now they brought the scroll to him and he read it. And he said to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. In other words, I have, I have, I've bought, I'm here to purchase something for you that you ordinarily cannot purchase for yourself. 
You could not have worked enough to purchase salvation. And for some of us, the fear of the assurance of our salvation is something that grips us all the time. Am I truly saved? Am I going to make heaven? Maybe what I just said right now would not make me make heaven. Maybe what I just did right now would not make me make heaven. And we begin to equate the freedom that Christ has given us to the freedom that we think in our mind is what we own. In other words, we think that it is our do or don't do that allows us to enjoy the liberty that we have in God. Listen to me. It is free. There is nothing you can do about it. It's been purchased for you. You, you Listen. If ordinarily God were to ask us to come purchase this thing, there's no way in the world any one of us could have afforded it. So the question is, if we could not have afforded it, why do we still carry on as if there's something we need to do? This message came to me as a result of something that had happened. And when it happened... I said to myself, and this is me, I, I, I thought I'd gotten a, a, a grip on the grace message. And for all night, my head was beating me hard. I mean, thoughts that were going through my mind. And to even approach God in prayer was a difficult thing. I could not even open my mouth to pray. And I'm saying to myself, what do I understand about this liberty? Am I free to approach God? Am I free as a child of God to begin to talk to God based not on what I'm doing right or wrong, but just knowing that I am free in Christ? That became the key thing for me. To where having talked to a few of people that are around me, I now understand that sometimes this thing can be a challenge. So the question this afternoon is, what does freedom look like in the life of a believer? What is the face of freedom? I'm glad you asked. Go with me now to the book of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 15. Freedom is the cornerstone of the Christian life. He says, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear of death. Now, if you look at the word death, don't look at it as a physical death. The word death there means just where things are dead, period. There is no life in them. In other words, there is nothing in this thing that can bring forth the life of Christ. So the Bible is saying that because of this, Jesus freed his people. And now he set us free that we may be who we need to be in him. Period. So that the things that easily enslave me can no longer have a bouncing place in my life. The enemy cannot throw lies at me anymore. Because I have been set free by the truth that is in Jesus. In other words, Jesus has become the central focus of everything in my life. So that when I as a believer say I am free. I know I am free. I am free of the fears of tomorrow. I am free of the fears of next year. 
I am free of the fear of the unknown. Many of us bank because of the fear of the unknown. I'm not saying, please, I'm not, I'm not saying you don't bank or save money. I'm just saying, what is, what, what is it that is motivating it? Am I saving because I'm grateful to God for his blessings over my life? Or am I saving because I am afraid, what if something happens tomorrow? That I don't have any form of security. However, Jesus has become our security. That's why I say Jesus is a house, is a home. Is where we find comfort in. What is a face of freedom? This is what freedom looks like. For you as a believer to know I am walking in, in liberty. That I'm enjoying the freedom that Christ has purchased for me. Here are the things that are the litmus test for that life. Number one. You have encountered the person of Christ. What does that mean? In other words, my relationship with Christ is healthy. It does not produce peer pressure. It does not produce men pleasing. I am secured in who Christ is in my life. My motive is not to please any man because I am already pleasing to God. What am I saying? You can't do anything to please God. Is already pleased with you. When Jesus died and said it is finished, it became the point of reference for God. Your behavior today or tomorrow will not turn off God. He has made up his mind in Christ that you are a pleasure to him. But we in our human mind always think that the pleasure we bring is as a result of our behavior. When I behave right, God is pleased with me. When I misbehave, God is not pleased with me. And the enemy uses this to box us into a corner. To where we no longer have liberty to express our worship and our love to God. What does freedom look like in a believer? Number two. Freedom is living by grace in the friendship we have in Christ. Let's bring that down. When I say someone is my friend, I mean I really mean through friendship. That means I am free with you. I can have any discussion. I can be myself around my friend. In other words, I can say any stupid thing. And I don't expect that my friend will condemn me. I'm talking about true friendship. I'm not talking about a friend that will condemn me. I'm talking about true friendship. That's just an acquaintance. But the person that is my friend, I'm being myself with. They know the stupid things that comes out of my mouth. They know the crazy thoughts that goes through my head. Because I ask them out many times. And they love me irrespective of it. Liberty, freedom means that we are friends with Jesus. And we are not guarded. We don't have walls around us. We don't think Jesus loves us conditionally. We know that we are free with Jesus. I can be myself with Jesus. I can say anything before Jesus. I'm not going to say, oops. Because the truth is, the more of Jesus I know, the more refined my conversation will be. 
You can't start being guarded to get better. Jesus does not love you for who you will be. He loves you for who you are. You can't do it any better. If you could do it any better, you don't need Jesus. The reason why he gave Jesus in the first place is to set us free from trying to be better. What does the face of freedom look like in a believer? Number three. Prayer becomes a delight for the believer. In other words, there are no ten steps to prayer. I stopped buying those books. And I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying, about, talking about myself. Because if somebody is my friend, why do I need ten steps? It's like me talking my best friend and coming to her house and knocking. Bum bum. I mean, ten steps to enter into my best friend's house, please. Let me let me know what I'm let me let me watch myself. Let me guard myself. So prayer becomes a delight. It's not something that I struggle with. Whether it's just two words I speak to him, I've just prayed. Whether it's just one word, whether I don't say anything, I have just prayed. I don't need 40 minutes or one hour. I am in a relationship. And because I'm in a relationship, I am free. So if I don't pray, I don't feel guilty. I mean, Pastor is like coming to you as my friend. And every time you see me, you just want me to say good afternoon, good morning, good afternoon. I see you a minute ago, I say good afternoon. I come back again, I say good evening. I come back again, I say good morning. I mean, there is a problem with that thing. I mean, are you, are you catching my gist? I should be able to walk up to you without anything and just talk. I mean, that's why Jesus can confidently say, Father, I thank you that you hear me. It is because he has a relationship. If you have a friend that doesn't hear you, you don't have a friend. You expect that your friend should be able to do anything for you. And the reason I'm using friendship is because the Bible says, greater love had no man than for a man to lay down his life for his friend. He said there is a friend that's ticket closer than a brother. What does freedom look like? I am free. I can just express this one word. Lord, I adore you because I belong to you. That alone. Listen, I say that thing for over 40 times in the morning. I really don't even need to pray for my children. Because it's in me. I'm not saying don't pray for your children, please. I'm just giving you, I'm just giving you examples here. It does not mean you stop praying. I'm just say, talking about the, the strength of the relationship that you have with him. I can just say, Lord, I adore you. You are mine. And I say that over and over and over and over again. When I say, Father, I belong to you. Because the simple utterance of adoration and submission infused with our being, with a, it infuses our being with a profound awareness of who we are. When I used to say, I am a child of Thomas, it meant something. Pastor Charles is like, is like NASA saying, I'm NASA DK. There's something he conjures in his head when he knows that name. When you and I say, I am a child of God, it's not a leap thing. There's a reality to it. It says we no longer call him 
God. We call him Abba, Father. So that every step I make, I'm making it in him. That's what that means. Freedom means I can pray anyhow before God. Throw away those help books. If it's only one syllable you can make, or tight. That's all you need. I mean, what long prayers did Jesus make? Father, I thank you, you always hear me. Is that supposed to be a long prayer? But he was so secured in the relationship that nothing can change his mind about his father. I am in the father, the father is in me. Father and I are one. Can you say that this afternoon? I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And me and Christ, we are one. When I talk, Christ talk. When I smile, Christ has just smiled. Can we really resonate with that? Because this is the face of freedom. That I can boldly say, nothing can uproot me. I have been firmly planted in God. So that the things that are not will pale in the sight of who we are in him. Because the truth be told that many things that derail us many times are the things we are not able to touch. I'm trusting God for this and it's not come. However, God has transcended all of that. The entire world, he has given it to you. You were told last two weeks, we were told, we are blessed. Is that a reality? Do I walk in it? Do I walk in that knowledge that I am a blessed child of God? What does freedom look like? Number four. I know and experience the love of God. And many times this statement can just be said without any passion within it. The truth is, you can stand there and explain love and many times it's difficult because love is a person, is an experience. It's not just something that I say. It's what I know. When I can boldly say God loves me. And I'm, I'm saying this, I'm going to repeat it. It bears repeating. It's in those times we have heard, that's when you know, if you know that God loves you. Watch yourself when you feel like you have heard. I have done the most. <laughs> Even you yourself will say, Brr. that's when I want you to watch, to know, if you know that God loves you. The minute your heart begins to condemn you, you don't know it yet. You're growing in it. But when you are satisfied in it, you will be like David. Okay, I know I have sinned, but it is your hand I want to fall into. Yes, you, 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 you will be so confident of the love of God. You will look at him and say, okay, it's you God, right? It's you that I've sinned again. Oh, it's okay, piece of cake. Let me fall in your hands. And that's David that does not know the grace that you and I have. What does the face of freedom look like? 
you have to know that you're loved. You're free from the entanglement of the lies of the enemy. That you're only loved conditionally. I mean, because, I, listen, I'm, I'm the kind of person that analyzes things a lot. The one scripture that everyone here and probably, probably knows that's one scripture that resonates with me all the time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. My question I ask myself all the time, was I good then when he loved me? No. He said, for God so loved the world. I mean, and that's the, that's the scripture we use to preach to unbelievers. And for us as believers, many times it's a scripture we need to use to preach to ourselves. For God so loved me when I was entrenched in sin. When I did not know anything but to sin. His love pursued me. His reckless love sought me out. He did not give me a breathing room. And if this person that loved you so much would do this much for you, do you think your future is not secured? Every one of you that have left college, all of you that are in college, I'm talking to all of you this, this afternoon. You're about to leave college, you've left college, or you're about to go into college, and you think you have the fear of the future. I want to release you this afternoon to the word of his grace that wherever you are going to has been secured. It is a person, and the person is an assurance. He has never failed and he will not fail. There is nothing you can say or don't say that will change what he asks for your future. If you can just allow yourself to know this truth and walk in it, what does the face of freedom look like? Number five, and this is where I'm going to close. The freedom of serving. So that when I want to serve you, Brother Derek, I'm not serving you to please you. I'm serving you because I'm loved. And I don't have anything to do but just to show this love. When I bring you a cup of water, it is not because I want a thank you from you. It's because I've experienced this love so much. My entire life is changed. I mean, look at Jesus and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the short guy, remember him? I mean, this guy, he made an effort. I mean, I can imagine if the Bible says short, I can imagine the guy's probably like three feet or something tall. I mean, the Bible says it's short. So the guy climbs a tree to talk to Jesus, just to search out Jesus. And all Jesus will say to him, today, Zacchaeus, I am dining in your house. And what Jesus did to Zacchaeus was to remove all his insecurities by just a conversation with him. Jesus didn't have to say much. But today, Zacchaeus, I am dining in your house. We've been hearing how that our life becomes an example of the finished work of Christ. In other words, everywhere we go, what we do, how we do it, we are showing the liberty that we have in God. And everyone around us begin to taste of this liberty. Yesterday, on our way back from the home going of our dearest brother, 
I was having a conversation with my best friend in the car. How the life is just Jesus. That life is life. But what gives meaning to life is Jesus. And she was telling me about the story of a woman. I'm not sure she knew that I was paying attention. That this woman had a place of work also. Passed very, at a very young age. Um, the woman was going to have a Thanksgiving for the mother. And she passed on Friday and was supposed to have a Thanksgiving on Sunday. And she was talking about how at the funeral, I think it was at the funeral, almost there were, there were just throngs of people from their office. And she was amazed as well. I mean, this one here, this one here. He said they were Hindus, they were Muslims, and they all had one thing in common. They said she had an open ears for them. That they brought their problems to her. And so when she saw all of that, that amazed her. What am I saying? There's a responsibility to liberty. Liberty that does not give is not liberty. Because if God called us to freedom, that he is freedom, then that means he also became responsible we also have some sort of responsibility in this liberty that we enjoy. Because every time we use this scripture, we do not mourn like them that don't have hope. Remember, we use that. Why do we use those scripture? Because we have a certain liberty that those that don't know Christ don't have. That if they go through this problem, they might commit suicide. They will give up on life. But you and I don't have that. What we have transcends what they have. And yet, sometimes we are the best kept secret in the world. So we've been told over and over, let's share what we have. And for many of us, it's just a matter of reaching out to somebody. Let them see. I mean, we believers ought to be having party all the time. They need to be finding out from us, why are we having party? You know the reason why we should have party? Because you're free. Have a party next Friday. Please invite me and my friends that are unbelievers. You don't even need to tell me it's your son's birthday. We don't need birthdays to have, have parties. We just need to have party for the heck of it. I just sat down on Saturday. I realized that I'm loved by God. Hey, all of you, I want you over in my house. Let me call this woman that caters. Bring food. I want to celebrate. Because it calls for celebration. What you are getting so free, some people, they are trying to pay for it. You read the news, this one has committed suicide and they have all this money. Don't you understand that it is the liberty that you have in him? Because he has set you free. What is my responsibility? To share the same liberty that I have with a person that is next to me. Let them find out from me, why are you so happy? Why do you have such smile on your face? And let me say to them, come. Just like God, Jesus did for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, tonight, I am dining with you. I'm going to make a very odd altar call. And you all are going to be wondering what kind of altar call is this lady making. Everyone in this place that can cook, I want you to stand. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I said it was going to be odd. Now, I don't mean those that can fry eggs. I mean, you've been complimented many times. That girl, you can cook heaven down. Or man, you can cook heaven down. I like that, Lee. Tonight I'm coming to your house. (laughs) Now, it seems an odd altar call, right? But it's not an odd altar call. Don't play music here for me, please. Just, Just stand there, but don't play music here. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, tonight, I'm dining in your house. Every one of you that is standing here that can cook, I'm charging you. You have colleagues at work. You pass by people every day. Listen, two weeks ago, I think it was Dupe that I was telling. I said, you know, it's funny that people get friendly and converse on dining tables. I mean, I was watching people. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm seeing all of them. They are all conversing, dining. And I know two of them that really don't like each other. And when it came to food. <laughs> what am I saying to you? Do me a favor. If this liberty be true. I want you to invite someone by next week. Cook a storm. Present something to the, on the table. Tell your colleague, the recluse, the one that is a recluse at work, that don't talk to nobody. Andrew, I'm from Africa. I cook a storm. I want you to come over to my house next week. You are not preaching Jesus to him. You're just cooking for him. The same thing Jesus did for Zacchaeus. Tonight, I am dining in your house. Jesus didn't have to say anything. Zacchaeus himself was one that was confessing his sins. I mean, have you ever seen that? You've not even asked this person, did you sin before? And he's the one that is going, listen, every person that I've cheated, I promise you, I will pay them back. The one that I stepped on their toe, I promise you, I will apologize. The one that I did this one, I promise you, I will. Can you imagine the recluse saying to you, because of you, Nobody has ever showed me this much love. Because nobody has called me to dine the way you've called me to dine. I'm saying to every one of us that are standing, listen, I know I can cook. I I pride myself in that. And I promise you, I'm also going to invite somebody over. And say to them, if not anything, just that I love you, And I want to present something for you. I want you to lift your hands with me. This is the altar call this afternoon. Listen, that you know how to cook is a skill. It's a gift from God. I mean, have you ever seen eating some people's food? Oil will be on one side. The, the, The spices will be on the other side. There will be water in the middle. When they give it to you, you are only eating it by faith. Believing that nothing is going to go wrong in your tummy. And you have it all on the corner of your mouth wondering, how soon can I get to go to the bathroom? And then you come back and say, oh my God, I've eaten too much today. I'm so full, I don't want to eat anything no more. 
So you're standing here because God gave you something. And what God has given you is no joke. It's not just meant for those that are within your circle. It is meant to touch everybody. I want you to lift your hands with me. And I want you to say, Lord, I thank you for this skill. That with this skill, I will touch someone's life. With this skill, I will transform someone's life. With this skill, I will bring men and women into the kingdom. My father, we release right now the wisdom upon your people to be able to do, use this gift that you've given them to bring men and women into the kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that through the liberty that we have in you, we are able to serve everyone around us. Father, thank you. We do not take this skill for granted. Lord, with it, oh God, we will bring, we will bring joy to many, many faces. We will bring smile to many faces, oh God. Giving you the glory. Giving you the praise. And the honor. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all.